how do we as believers, as spirit-filled believers, invite people to church? And I'm going to be uh, putting together a teaching on this. I'm going to be elaborating on this a little bit more because the way the churches do it in the modern time is not the way it was intended in former times. In former times, if you read in like the book of Corinthians or other letters in Timothy, Paul actually writes about expelling people from churches. And how often do you really see that happen in a church body? Matter of fact, if, if as a church I said, Papa, I know you're my father-in-law, but you are unrepentant, you are not walking in the spirit, and you are deliberately living in sin, you can't do that here. People would go, I'm out of here. I'm never coming back to that church. Because they have been taught that you are tolerating the spiritual issue instead of delivering them from the spiritual issue. And part of the delivering process is at times to be cut off from the fellowship. That's hard. That's hard to say. I'm just, let me just put it in better perspective for you. If you're at home and someone's a tyrant in your own home and they're just ripping off your cabinets and damaging your fridge and tearing up your floor. At some point, you got to kick them out. And this is how Paul writes it. I'm going to go into more about this later on. But Paul writes it like this. Look at the hope of Jesus Christ. He says, get rid of that person from the fellowship among you, that they would be handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in hopes that they would be saved on the day of judgment. Now, that teaching only exists in the true church. It will never work in the false church. Because the invitation in a false church most times, not all churches, but most times, is you make a flyer and you pass it out to the neighborhood around you and you tell all the people in the neighborhood to come to a Sunday service. And when you do that, and you not saying you shouldn't ever do that, I'm saying, but when you build the church on that model, then when do you ever have time for those that are spirit-filled to fellowship in Christ? The church then becomes a church. Is something going on? Oh, he's like, don't knock the mic over. The church becomes a church of ministry and neglects the fellowship. And this is why when you go to a small group or a conference or a hike or a fishing trip, as people who call themselves believers and you're doing an activity and you invite unbelievers to an activity and they fall in love with you and your activity and that number grows from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 and now there's whispering happening where you're doing an activity but you're so disconnected because you've misunderstood what fellowship is with what ministry is. And if this room was full of 80% unbelievers, I would never have time to fellowship with believers. Because not all people who come and hear the gospel will be saved. But some of those people will be tolerated to stay inside of a fellowship that's meant for born-again believers, and they will be the biggest distraction to your fellowship. And then you'll be stuck feeling bad and having condemnation because you don't want to get rid of them because you have been taught to tolerate it. Let me tell you how true invitation happens. The Lord knocks, 
and then he sends somebody to that person who he's already knocking on their heart's door. That's how the church grows. It doesn't grow by opening this fellowship up and contaminating this fellowship. We all know what it's like to be around somebody who's negative, somebody who's got a, a, a devilish mind, somebody who's got a flirtatious touch, and they will even bring it into the church and rub your back and talk to you and call you names and make, oh yeah, oh yeah. And you want all of that in the fellowship. But then how do you win people? God wins people. How do you think you're here? Look around the room. Spirit-filled believers. We're not locking and bolting the door and trying to keep sinners out. We're just saying that the way sinners are won, it's been broken in the process. It's, it's, it's allowed the church to become something that is more hindered by it than empowered by the Lord to go and win people to the Lord. I'm going to go more into it. But this is why I say pray about who you invite. Don't go throwing invitations on me. <laughs> Here, Pastor Tony, here's John. Here's Jane. Here. <laughs> I brought him to church. Did you bring him to Christ? <clears throat> because it's you that should be bringing them to Christ. Because you're spirit-filled. You should be giving them the truth of the gospel. You should be telling them it's all about God. You should be seeing whether or not they're truly drawn. And then if you see that, you come and bring them into the fellowship. Somebody say amen. amen. Mm -hmm. I just had half of the viewers turn off right now. So we're going to get more into that, but it's so important. And if you're new here and you, and you have felt rejection in your past and you have sin in your life, I don't want you to focus on rejection because that's not what it is. I want you to focus on the acceptance of Jesus because there's another voice happening on the inside of your heart that's telling you you're where you're supposed to be. I don't need to say nice things for you to know that. The voice of the Lord is telling you, you are where you're supposed to be. And even though the message is hard, God will give you understanding. Amen? Is that awesome? Whew. You might want to invite people for that. I'm just saying. <laughs> but we don't, we don't do that. We're not doing any marketing. If you notice on the building, we're, not, we're never going to put up our times. It's just not something God wants us to do. Uh, you are God's billboard, right? And if you're truly being led by the Lord, you'll discern it. You'll know, okay, is this person fit to come to the times of fellowship? Or should we come and maybe grab a couple of the brothers and we'll come minister to this person? We'll make it a time where I'll give pastor the opportunity to anoint his hands, spend two or three days praying and fasting, and we'll come and, you know, we'll give that person Christ. Amen? Because I'll do that all day. I'll do it in your backyard, in your front yard, in your house. I don't care where we're at. I'll do it in the supermarket. We'll do it wherever we got to do it. We'll stick them up, right? <laughs> like, like, we'll do whatever we got to do to get people one to Jesus. Amen. But I will not just let a devil-filled, demon-possessed person sit with my son and have conversation when my son is not equipped to give them the truth. In the same way, I would never have somebody come and just sit here and, and heckle and, you know, do all kinds of stuff or talk in the back. And, oh, can you believe what he said? Why? Why would you do that? Go, there's a thousand churches in Fresno. Go, go somewhere else. Sounds hard, right? But, but why would you ever want that in your home? Why would you ever want that around your brothers and sisters? Why would you ever, ever want that around the future church? I feel the anointing of the Lord right now. He's not letting me leave this point. 
Why would you ever want somebody who will never be delivered? Because you do know there's people who will never be delivered, right? And you do know that Satan sends them to the house of God wherever they would be allowed to sit and heckle and cause problems. You know that happens, right? That's That's a real thing. And sometimes it's your brother, it's your sister, it's your mother. But I have to be the messenger of God, the voice of God to say to you, that is not the way God wants the church, the body, the arm, the leg to be one. I can't have a dying leg. It got to be cut off. There is nothing dying in Christ. And people in their human reason would say, but that, what does that have to do with inviting people to church? Everything. Everything. You know how packed we could get this? Can I just give you perspective? You know how packed we could get this place? You know how packed we can get this place? I came from blazing it up and running the muck. Hard up with them streets, say thuggins and mustard. Oh, let's get the flyers going. Put the bead on. Let's go. Yeah. Feed, hey, cook some tri-tip. <laughs> some ribeye. I like ribeye. <laughs> You'll pack this place out quick with a little bit of rap music of people who are anointed to do so, and then you give them what? No Jesus? You tell them to sign up and volunteer, do a background check, put them in children's? you got to be kidding me. Your kids should be watching, you should be watching your own kids. If you got kids that are here and you have been called to a fellowship, you should say, how can I help? Because my kids are in there too. And, and you're over here helping watch my kids, so let me help watch yours. That's called family. Somebody help me preach right now because there are people really thinking that they got church figured out. Because they want to throw things off. And act like God ain't there. This is the house of God. We are the people of God. It is our responsibility to make sure that those that come in are either drawn by God or they're not. And if they are, praise God. And if they're not, it's a horrible situation. We don't celebrate over anyone being cast out or cut off or whatever word you want to use. It's the worst thing that can happen. We would never want that for anybody. But the reality of it is, it has to happen. I know right now, this is like, what did I walk into? (laughs) You walked into Jesus. That's what you walked into. You walked into the true Christ. And now I'm going to go into the teaching, which is, uh, (laughs) it's probably going to cause more problems for me. It's okay. (laughs) Father, you know. But in this teaching, we're going to talk about from tithing to giving. And it's the fourth part of a five document walkthrough of what it means to be spirit-filled. The reason why from tithing to giving is so important. One of the most important parts of this entire teaching is what we're going to go over today. And the reason for that, and I want to I just kind of tear down a few uh, uh, walls here. The reason for that is because we're not talking about your money. And immediately when you hear tithe and giving, you only think it's your money. And leaders have done a horrible job at focusing on only your money when it comes to these two things. And let me tell you why. Because they're not spirit-filled. And when you're spirit-filled, you come to understand what was actually taking place with the tithe. That way you can see now what Jesus actually did to give you something greater than the tithe. Oh. I know some of us are like, well, tell us. Okay, hold on. Hold on. 
Go with me to Numbers chapter 18, and I want to pray. And I also want to uh, say this together. Well, actually, we're going to do the, uh, is the uh, declaration on there? I want to pray, and then I want to say this together because I want to ready our hearts. Father, right now I pray for your anointing. Come and fall on this place. Pop open our ears. Let the scales fall off of our eyes. May our hearts and minds be aware of your truth now. That people would be free and free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now just say this with me. I confess with all my awareness, no, with me, and all my understanding that I need God. Without Him, I can do nothing. Without Him, I can be nothing. And without Him, I am nothing. Without Him, I have no way. I have no truth. I have no life. Through Christ, I find freedom. Through Christ, I find peace. Through Christ, I can do all things. Stop real quick. All things is not just your dream. Your aspiration. Whatever you've heard people say, I can do all things through Christ. Isn't it normally linked to a business opportunity? Or is it normally linked to some type of success you want to have in your life, like getting a scholarship or making the NFL or the NBA? And you see it on uh, Steph Curry's shoe, right? God bless Steph Curry. But um, I don't believe he's spirit-filled. If you see his Instagram, you'll see he flaunts him and his wife like crazy. So I had to unfollow Steph Curry because I was like, no, brother. But you got it on your shoe. All things. Hey, oh, don't do that, Trina. Don't. <laughs> we love the brother with the Christ love, but he's not the representation of Christ. Amen. Just because he's a celebrity doesn't make him important. Just because he's in a place of influence doesn't mean he should be influencing you. You got to help me right now. I know somebody's going, well, then who are you? You're just over here on Palm and Shields. I'm a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit. About to give you the truth that what's written on his shoe just may not be right in his heart. And it says, I can do all things through Christ. All things is not talking about the natural. Let me tell you something, Steph Curry. Jordan did all things too then. Because he was a better ba- basketball player than you. I'm just saying, like, you can have your opinions, but he never flaunted Christ like that. But yet he was one of the greatest. So just because he put it on his shoe doesn't make him holy. And if he was ever to come across this, God would convict his heart. I promise you that. We want to make sure that when we're saying this, The all things is what we could not do. And what we could not do is save ourselves. We could not earn it. So through Christ, I can be saved. That's all things, brothers and sisters. It's what's eternal. Amen. And if you were here last week, you'd be saying amen with me because we don't focus on the earthly thing. We focus on the eternal thing. And now half of this congregation's not coming back next week. Steph Curry, that's the final straw. You are judgmental. (laughs) May the Lord have mercy on us all. I was made with purpose. I was made with a plan. My purpose is to know God, and his plan is to know me. He did not create me for earthly pleasure, but I was created only because he is loving. 
By knowing that, I now confess my life is not my own. I don't belong to me. I belong to God. And so I surrender. I surrender my thoughts. I surrender my will. I surrender my life. As long as now is now, I will choose to live for God. And more importantly, I choose to let God live through me. Say amen. Amen. Is God good? You know, for the first time in this ministry, I feel like uh, because of what I witnessed with Luciano, uh, because of of the word that came through him, and over the last, I would say, (laughs) yeah, we could hear it. It's Clearly the Bible's wanting to say something. (laughs) But um, after listening to the brothers and sisters and just seeing what God is doing in our midst, I'm fully convinced that the maturity of Christ in this body of believers has gotten to a point now where we're going to see this. We're not going to be able to stay here. We're just not going to be able to contain what God is about to do because it's no longer just 10 people coming to hear one person preach. It's now Jesus in all of us everywhere around the city. And as people are coming in contact with you, they're coming in contact with Christ, which is in contact with his body. And they're going to sit there going, you know, I've never, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. I, I've always believed that tithing was this, or I've always believed that, you know, God wanted me to have the best life, blessed life. And you're going to be standing there telling them, no, God has something far greater than just the best life on earth. He has eternal life. And we're not going to sit around and build cliques and clubs about cars and football and other things. We're going to stay remaining in the body of Christ. And as that's happening in your homes and in your schools and in your, in your workplaces and everything else, it's going to spread because God said so. Yeah. Because God said so. So... The last three weeks, we went through the wineskin parables. We went through um, spiritual life and language. We went through the emphasis last week, and now we're going from tithing to giving, from tithing to giving. So in order to fully grasp this and in order for God to minister this to us, we have to go where it all started. In Numbers chapter 18, starting in verse 21 through 26, this is what it says. Anoint your word, Father, right now. As for the tribe of Levi... As for the tribe of Levi, meaning this was a specific set of instructions to a specific group of people. As to the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. From now on, no Israelites except priests or Levites may approach the tabernacle. If they, if they come too near, they will be judged guilty and will die. Only the Levites may serve at the tabernacle, and they will be held responsible for any offenses against it. This is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. The Levites will receive no allotment of the land among the Israelites, because I have given, them the, given the Israelites tithes, which they will be, then will be presented as sacri- sacred offerings to the Lord. This will be the Levites' share. That is why I said they would receive no allotment of land among the Israelites. 
The Lord also told Moses, give these instructions to the Levites. When you receive from the people of Israel the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes you receive, a tithe, a t- a tithe of the tithe to the Lord as a sacri- sacred offering. This is where the tithe is established. Many people say the tithe was established in another place, and I'm going to go there. But this is where the tithe was established. Now, at this time in the Old Testament, we know that we were under what was called obligation. Just say that word, obligation. And you should get sick of that word. You should hate that word. Who likes obligations? Anybody in here? But we were. In the Old Testament, the entire relationship with God was under an obligation covenant. Meaning, give me a tithe. What did that mean? That meant if Isaac had to tithe everything he was wearing, he would need to cut a tenth off his shirt, his shorts, his chain, his hair, his toenails, who knows. But he would have to, under obligation, in order for his entire body to be in covenant with God, you would have to give a tenth. It was God's way of remaining in relationship with man. Of remaining in relationship with their stuff. This was God's way. He said, this is how I'm going to make us stay connected. Where you know I'm God and you know who you're giving it to. And we are in relationship. Most churches teach the tithe this way. Go to Malachi chapter (laughs) 3. And I, I might put my preacher voice on right now. I might have Saul get up and play the organ for me right now. And in Malachi, chapter 3. I'm going to preach a whole two hours just from three lines. (laughs) Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8. If you're there, say amen. It says this, should people cheat God? How many of you have heard this sermon? Anybody? You're not raising your hand, so I feel like nobody. You've never heard a sermon from Malachi 3? Nobody? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. This is normally how people will teach that the, the importance of the tithe is they'll teach it with fear. You better give to God or else you're cheating God. Now, anybody remember that sermon? You ever been told that if you give to God, he'll give to you pressed down, shaking together, overflowing? Well, when you hear that message, right, he'll give to you pressed down, shaking together, overflowing. What does it make you feel like if you don't give? If you're giving and they're saying by giving, you'll be under a blessing and you don't give, what is it? You're under a curse. So there's a teaching out there with tithing today, post-Jesus Christ today, where they rule over people to get their finances into the church, and they do it by saying, will you rob God? Don't you want to be blessed? And that is works, my brothers and sisters. That is not grace. That comes from a works way, an obligation. Do you hear grace in that at all? I mean, if you reach for it, you can. Well, he's gracious to give me obligation. I mean, I get it. But that's obligation. It produces rebellion out of your heart. And this is how normally people teach it. Now, can I, I just want to ask you a question. 
let's be honest right now, because I know some of us are, are very loyal people, and we're like, I give all the time. I get it. I'm not looking at anybody. You're checking the box. You feel proud about it. But I'm going to tell you, let's be honest. Would life be easier without a tithe? Not in the sense, listen, not in the sense as if you're trying to rob God. I'm just saying, would you have a little more in your pocketbook? Would you have a little bit more resources for yourself if you weren't giving to the church? It's common, common sense. That would be practical, right? So life technically would be a little easier with 10% more in your bank account. Wrong. Because you would still feel cheated because you'd squander that too. And you and I both know you got too many shoes. <laughs> you got too many houses, too many cars. Too, you got too many extras. And your 10% would go to your credit card debt and everything else. Help me. We're just wicked at the core. Let's not think we're good. All right. But there, is, there was a tithe. There was an institution of the tithe. But I'm here today to bring to you the truth that the tithe is over. There is no tithing anymore. I lost all the church right there. I could just feel it fall off like the, what? Then how do you run the church? How do you pay your bills? What are you talking about? The tithe is over. And something greater has been instituted. And I'm so, I'm so privileged to preach this message right now. I'm so, I, that God would call me to give this to free you. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Jeff came to me today after last week, last week, because, you know, there was like 30 verses we went through last week. And I, I looked at the, uh, the video afterwards. I was like, I preached for an hour and a half. I cannot believe it. That's a long time. And everybody was like, we didn't even feel it. It was like, we didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the anointing of God. Praise God. But I was like, that's a lot of verses. So he came up to me and says, how many verses this week? <laughs> and I go, five. But what I didn't tell him is that I'm reading a whole chapter right now. So, <laughs> so in Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to give this. You may have to go back and watch the video. For some of us, it may make no, no difference for you. You may already be walking in the freedom of God, listening to God. And so this is only going to confirm to you what has not been preached from a pulpit. There's only few people that I've heard actually teach on what I'm teaching right now. And I heard them after God gave me the revelation. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that God really does speak this stuff because it's written in black and white. The problem is it's not taught to you. And if you in the old system of obligation ever came to this chapter and tried to decipher it under, an, under something like from the old obligation, you would miss it completely because you would be selective in your reading. You would see what you want to see based on what you believe. But now that you're the, the veil's been torn, now that Jesus has met you, you're going to see it for what it is, and you're going to go, whoa. And so I'm hoping right now that as I go off through this, that you don't get caught up in the word Melchizedek. doesn't matter. Sounds funny, but it's, it doesn't matter. You're going to get caught up in priesthood and lineage. I don't want you to focus so much on those details, though I will read them. I want you to listen for the old way and the new way. Can you do that? All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God most high. Background on Melchizedek, it's Jesus. It was Jesus coming in the form of, of Melchizedek back in the Old Testament, appearing to Abraham and some of the other prophets to, to do what he has to do with them. So Melchizedek is Christ, and it'll even say it here, is Christ back at that time. He just wasn't Jesus in the body yet. 
You with me so far? All right. So when Abraham was returning from home, after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in the battle and gave it to Melchizedek. So we see the tithe there, right? The name Melchizedek means king of justice and the king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever resembling the son of God. So is there any other one that's, you see it's Jesus Christ now, right? So watch, here we go. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests who are descendants of Levi must collect the tenth from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. And we read that in Numbers 18, right? That there was a tenth that had to be given to Israel. It was a obligation. Watch this. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The writer here is saying Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Let me take it a step further. The covenant of Jesus is greater than the covenant of Abraham. I know it's, it's like, but isn't it the same covenant? It wasn't fulfilled until Jesus came. It was incomplete in Abraham. It was completed in the Lord. Here we go. I know some of us are like, but I want to see it in the scriptures. You're going to see it in the scriptures. I know you, you think I'm just going to tell you the tithe's over. It's, I'm going to show it to you. Are you ready? Man, I feel the Lord. I've never been so excited about preaching about tithes. It's awesome. (laughs) The priests who collect the tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe (laughs) to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. Now, I know I just lost people because that's like tomato, tomato. There's some people here like, okay, that's too much. When Abraham gave his tithe, all of Israel gave their tithe, and they weren't even born yet. Show me the scripture, pastor. Yes. Verse 9. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe through Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. So mamas, you guys know what it's like to have a baby in your belly. That means, man, this is, you know, this is totally to the side right here. Just, this is the Lord giving me divine revelation right now. That's what a generational curse looks like. It's that you did something when you were younger before you ever had a seed in you, but yet your seed did it with you. That's what a generational curse looks like. If you can see what a generational blessing looks like, then you should know that's also a generational curse. Amen. Amen. That's why those of us who are saved and we're worshiping the Lord should worship him with seriousness and fervor because there are seeds coming down the line that are in your bosom. 
that are also praising God and they're not even here yet. That's a word for somebody. It's a word for me, shoot. Watch this. Verse 11. So if the priesthood of Levi, say so if. Because when this happens, God's setting us up. He's about to tell us something to free us. Remember, this isn't about your money. This is one of the reasons why some of you are falling asleep checking out. <laughs> because you're like, oh, information. <laughs> you know, it's like, so wake up. Because it's not about your money. The tithe was not about money. It was about relationship. It's about relationship. What would your relationship look like, husbands and wives, if you came home and you brought your check home? You said, okay, babe, this is yours. Would that, would that demonstration of saying, here's $100, but, but honey, 10 of it's yours, would that make you closer or further to get apart? Closer together or further apart with your spouse? Because isn't it supposed to all be yours? Aren't you guys supposed to be in complete unity? I know I'm not, I'm not doing it because some people still have separate bank accounts. Just it's okay. Don't feel condemned. But I'm saying it still stands to true that it should all be yours in a marriage. And if it's not all yours, those who have separate bank accounts, you know that there's a divide, isn't there? And if you could be honest with yourself, that there's, that, that's a tension, an area of tension. You're like, it's the truth. So with God, it's not about your money. It's about the relationship. Amen. So if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based, meaning this obligation was on the, on the priest of Levi, it's all based there. If, man, Lord, thank you. The priest of Levi on which the law was based could have achieved the perfection God intended why did God need to establish a different priesthood? Now, let me just explain that. The Levites had the law of obligation. Jesus has a different one. If the Levites could have brought us into full relationship with God, we would have no need for Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if there was a swap or a change in a person's life, those of us who've been through hard relationships, raise your hand. Only a few of us, I see. Okay, the other of you, you guys are perfect. Talk to me. Maybe you should be preaching up here. But have you ever been in those hard relationships and then saw genuine change? Now watch this. If there's been genuine change, but there's still some residue of old, are you fully giving yourself to that relationship or does that little bit of old put a bad taste in your mouth? So why would God leave a little bit of old in with what's new if what's new is free from obligation why would God leave obligation if the new is free from working your way to salvation which you could never do but it was the obligation before keep all of these requirements and then you're good if the new way is not requiring you to do anything why would you ever want a little bit of the old? It doesn't make any sense. You're in something new. That means you can't keep any. Say any. You can't keep any of the old obligation. You can't tell people the reason why they are struggling is because they're not reading their Bible enough. You can't say that. That's not their problem. The true problem is they haven't come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. 
Because when you come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you come into something that's new, not what's old. Amen. But yet there are churches still operating under this old way. And watch this. If the, if the priesthood had to change, right? Why would God have to establish something different? With a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi. And if the priesthood is changed, say changed. Amen. The law. Say the law. Just one portion of the law? Nine-tenths. Nine out of ten. If the priesthood has changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. So you cannot operate under works anymore. You cannot buy your way into relationship with God. No amount of tithing is going to save you. Otherwise, the thief on the cross is doomed because he had no money. He's hanging on the cross saying, remember me. And Jesus goes, you better empty your pockets, buddy, because uh, that old law, you ain't tithed a single day in your life. You got a lot of making up to do. You better call out your friends and family. Did he do that? Did he require anything of him? And man in their intelligence say, yeah, he required his faith. Knock it off. You're not smart. Faith has a name. That's a requirement from the father to the son, not to you. That's why grace is so amazing. But the thief hung and faced death but got salvation and never tithed. Matter of fact, he stole his whole life. What does that say to you? What's that say to the religious person who's living under bondage thinking that their finances are blessed because they give a portion to God? I'm about to show you how, no, you give a portion because God is the blessing. You're coming from a place, not for a place. Amen. Verse 13, for the priest we are talking about Belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar of, as priests. What I mean is our Lord, say our Lord, came from the tribe of Judah and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has made very clear, has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek and who is that? Has appeared. Jesus became a priest. Watch this. Not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi. Man, I should start a school, huh? I just start teaching this stuff. Man, this is good stuff. I'm not really going to start a school, but I mean, this is good stuff. This is, this is scripture being revealed to you. Do you see this? You're under the anointing of the Holy Spirit right now. Watch this. Jesus became a priest not in meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside. Do you guys see that in your Bible? Or are you just listening to me? Your Bible says set aside, right? 
that the law has been it's not there no more people be like don't kill don't steal don't murder yes all of that is in Christ and because it's in Christ it's in me and because Christ is in me I don't kill I don't steal I don't murder I'm not doing those things to be good. I'm not doing those things to earn Christ. I'm doing those things because he's good and it's because of Christ. Do you see this? So when people say, man, you're such a good man, stop that. You want to be a good person. That's why you're flattering me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Because it's him that's doing it. The old requirement about the priesthood is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anyone perfect. But now we have a confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Did it say through which we give more to God? God is the more. Some of you guys have been praying, like, God, take me deeper, and it's happening now, but you can't recognize it. Because the deeper you were hoping for was more of this life. When it's more of Christ you're getting now. Watch. This is powerful. It gets really good right now. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have a confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God this new system. (laughs) I just feel like just do some shadow boxing the devil's getting smashed right now because he's had a hold on god's people for way too long but god has set a point and it is today that this new system is new again (laughs) the new system was established with a solemn oath Aaron's descendants became priests which without such an oath and there was an oath regarding jesus for god said to him The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. So who's our priest? So if Christ is our priest, then the new system is what we live by. Amen. So we go from all of the law, but we're going to focus on tithing because I I realize that money has a string to man's heart. So we have to, we have to break that down. But all of the law, including the tithe has been changed. And there is something else called giving now which is totally different than the tithe. The heart switches. God hits a light switch, huh? You were once in the dark thinking you can earn your way. Now you realize you can't. So you say, what can I give? Oh, we're going to get to it because when you realize what God is truly asking for, the last thing you're thinking about is money. Do you feel the anointing of God? Because I do. Breaking chains, taking scales off people's minds, man. I mean, you are being free right now. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. So those of you who are stuck in the old way of obligation, you're missing out. There's people who have heard this message from two years ago when I preached it. And there's people hearing it now saying, this guy's preaching heresy. No, you're caught in an old way that is cheapening your experience with God because there is something greater. (laughs) There's something greater. Are you listening? And it doesn't have to do with your money. It has to do with your life.
There's a better covenant with God. Verse 23, there are many priests under the old system. For death prevented them from remaining in, in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to what? To what? Those who come to God through giving. See, you're not under obligation anymore. Through who? Because he is the tithe. Because he is the gift. He's the reason why we're compelled to come together and pay these bills. He's the reason why we come together and fill the church bank account with enough money just in case there's a true person in the community that's in need. He's the reason we do that. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. Some of us are still like, I don't know, I like the old way. Didn't you hear what I read last week? Didn't you hear what I mentioned the week before? The scripture that Jesus said, there's this new wine back on the wine skin parable. I have this new wine, but they say the old is just fine. That there are people that don't like change. Well, change has come. And whether you like it or not, it's here forever. Because there is not another covenant coming. And it has been made with Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? We're almost done. This is just wrecking theology. Like, I'm telling you, entire universities are turning upside down right now. What is being preached over there in Fresno? The truth. Here we go. It's awesome. And then it's just going off in there. He is the kind of high priest. Wait a minute. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. That's us. He's interceding for us right now. Even as I preach this message, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying and interceding for our freedom. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. Woo, glory to God. He doesn't need to do it over and over and over and over again. They did this for their own sins. First, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins, meaning he took the entire obligation and put it on himself and then fulfilled it on your behalf. That's why the thief on the cross did not have to pay tithes to be saved, did not have to get baptized to be saved, did not have to get off the cross and right his wrongs to be saved. Jesus did that. So that, you know what, those of you who are coming off of addiction and alcohol and drugs and, and you're trying to make your life better, Christ is the better. Stop working so hard to be good. He's good. And when you realize that he's done it already, you'll stop trying to do it. (laughs) 
Let's say it again. When you realize he's done it already, you will stop trying to do it. Something happens in your heart. A transformation takes place. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, somebody say after. It means like, like, the, like after means like replacement. Right? After the law was given, which was weak and useless. After God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made perfect as a high priest forever. Perfect. So you see, after reading this chapter, we got to conclude three things. One, we were under obligation before. We can all see that, right? I mean, some of us don't understand that because we're in, we're in the newness right away. But before Jesus Christ, you were under a bunch of obligation. You were living under condemnation because you kept trying to be a good person and failing to be one. And the worst part is, is there are people who actually think they succeed because they actually have money and they actually have success and they actually don't cuss, don't drink, don't do all these things and they sit without Jesus in their own righteousness thinking that they're good. That's the worst place because they cannot see their need for God and even pastors are in that place. They, they have failed to see their continual need for God. And they've built this utopia on earth of a blessed life now. And they live behind all of their success and all of their influence. And they are not dependent on the Lord. I pray for God. I pray God meet those people before those people. Because that's the worst place you can be. It's a light that is truly darkness. And you would say, if that first one's true, we were all under that obligation. Anybody in here ever been under works before? it's horrible you don't even realize you're being pimped and when you come out from it you're like "Ooh, ooh, i was being taken advantage of and you're upset because you were blinded for so long but now you're away from works so that means the second thing is there's a new covenant we can all agree with that right so if there was an old law, an old obligation, an old covenant, and the tithe was included in that covenant, can that tithe transfer to the new? It has to be done with. And if Jesus is the one who did not murder, the one who did not steal, the one who did not covet, the one who did not worship another God, if Jesus is the one who kept all 613 Levitical laws and the royal laws, if Jesus kept them all, didn't he also have to keep the tithe? But where do you ever read that he tithed? Find me the scripture where Jesus Christ gave a tenth of his money. Anybody? Because he was the tithe. Find me a scripture where Jesus called any day the Sabbath you should keep. He said it and mentioned it to the Pharisees, not to, so they would keep it forever, but to show them there's a new Sabbath 
And Sabbath has a name. His name is Jesus because he is the Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean? Rest. And if you want to find that chapter, it's Hebrews chapter 4. Just so you know. Go read it for yourself. We have entered that Sabbath, that rest. Amen? But if Jesus did it all, and now he's the tithe, then what is God asking now? I'm about to just... What? Yeah, because we're we on the other side now. And I'm almost done. We're on the other side now. What is God asking now? Let me tell you. God is not asking for anything. Oh, that is so tough, right? Because we're like, but, but God does ask us to do things. You're not God, so you're not going to comprehend the way God does things. We, his ways are way higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. But God doesn't ask like man asks. He commands. Even with his question, he's making a commandment to you. He is not suggest. He doesn't want your opinion. There's no opinion boxes in heaven, right? But he's commanding now. That's what he asked. In his asking, there's, it's always rhetorical. It's never like, what do you think? <laughs> if God asked you, what do you think? You'd be like, you, it would be smart. I'm just saying, it'd be wise to say nothing. What do you think? <laughs> but in this new relationship, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to show you something that Paul writes here. And then I'm going to show you, uh, after that, we're going to go to Romans 12. And then we're going to pray. Are you getting anything out of this? I know some of us, hold on, I got to speak to the entire listening audience, right? I got to speak to everybody. There's a couple things going on. Some of us are going, amen, I cannot believe I am free from the, the works base of having to give 10%. And they really are like, man, now what do I do? And there's an excitement in you. There's others of you that are wicked in heart and you're saying, yes, I never have to give to the church again. I never have to give to God and I'll be saved. That process doesn't come from the Lord. That thought process is still under obligation. You're still under works because you think that money can do something for you. <laughs> money can do nothing for you. God is the only one that does anything that's anything. Everything else is passing away, wasting. It doesn't truly do anything for you. Amen? And then there's the person who's like chomping at the bit. You can't wait to leave. <laughs> you can't wait to tune off. You just want to see the ending, just so, you know, it's like a movie. Just so you can have something to talk about. I pray it reach you. I pray it change your life. I pray the Lord get a hold of you, that you see this is something spiritual. This has nothing to do with the natural. And I pray you're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of Christ. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, starting in verse 7, watch this. Actually, let's start in verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, are we in the spirit right now? So let's not be in the workspace, meaning literally if I plant two seeds, I'm going to get only from that what's, it's a small crop versus 200 seeds is going to give me a large crop. What? 
are the seeds he's talking about. I just read it to you in Hebrews 7. There's an old system of obligation that yields a small crop, and there's a new way in Christ that yields a generous crop. You need the Spirit to connect that reality because that's what the entire Bible is talking about, that Christ, Christ, and more Christ. Not just that I give 10 and I get 100 back. Under the old obligation, you'll never experience the newness of life. So you tell me what's greater, to sow in the flesh or to sow in the Spirit? Let me say it another way. To sow to keep myself right with God or to sow because I am right with God? Oh, let me say it again. Which one's better? Are you going to yield a large, generous crop from under the obligation of saying, I need to keep myself right with God? You ain't got enough money. You, all the money in the world isn't enough throughout all time. Isn't enough to make you right with God. You needed Christ. So the generous crop it's talking about here is not your money. It's the systems. It's the old way in the new way. Amen? Aren't you thankful you're in a church that has revelation? Jeez, this is good stuff. This is life-changing stuff. Watch what it says. You must each decide where? What's your Bible say? You must each decide from the law of Levi. You must each decide... In your heart, how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Meaning, don't worry that if you give this, you won't have any more. You shouldn't give out of like, oh my God, I hope it comes back to me. (laughs) Well, how do you think it got in your hand in the first place? And you know you worried the last time. Right? Like you lived 20 years. Like, come on, get it. You better rejoice who you're giving that to. That's going to the Lord. Your life is going to the Lord. Don't, I mean, I have more. Don't give reluctantly and don't give out of pressure. You should never give because you want to please man. Ever. I'm telling you right now, brothers and sisters, search your heart. And when you put anything in that box, do not do it. If you want to check a box, keep your money. It'll serve way better that you be in fellowship with people who are not, have no strings attached. Come to the church, come to fellowship and never give. Never. Don't do it unless it's been placed in your heart to do it. Seriously. Don't do it because I'm telling you, there's a blessing Not that comes after, but there's a blessing that drives your giving. And it isn't out of being reluctant because that's the flesh, and it's not out of pressure because that's the flesh. And no, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you, when you give, it's none of your business where it goes. That's between us and God. That's a manipulation tactic by man, and I rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus. That was never supposed to be preached from the pulpit. You should know where your money's going. Not because you're entitled to, but so you can rejoice with us 
Oh, y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. Because when John has a $600 light bill that needs to be paid, and he's been serving at the church and coming to the church and he's been a part of the fellowship and giving his time and giving his money and it comes right at the right time because of your giving, we should celebrate. That's an amen, praise God. Because we have money to do it. We don't go, ah, look what I've done. Did a good deed for God today. I'm doing You know why this is so important, the heart part? Because under the obligation, the old way, you had a different heart. That's not the heart we're talking about. That heart would never ask God, what do you want me to give? That heart would only give 10%. It would feel completely condemned to give 5% because you feel like you're not living up to the standard. And it would feel special giving 15% because you went above and beyond. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That is not Christ. You give what is in your heart. But that heart is not the old heart. It's the new heart. And if you look up the, the, the words and you knew what the words meant in certain parts of Scripture about the word heart, it's not talking about your fleshly boom, 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 boom. It's not talking about that. Or your feelings. You know, it's talking about your mind. Decide in your mind. And guess what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says? You have the mind of Christ. So is it Christ that's being reluctant? Is it Christ that's giving out of pressure? Christ does what Christ does. And he gives all of himself. He doesn't hold back. There's no overextending with God. He doesn't draw out loans to meet a need. He is fully sufficient. And every time you encounter the Lord, he gives every part of himself. He withholds nothing. So now what do we do? Go to Romans 12 and we're done. (laughs) It's like another scripture. (laughs) Are you getting it, brother? The Lord is ministering, right? Watch this. Romans 12. Oh, it's okay. He's just thinking out loud. So what do we do now? If we're not tithing anymore, that's changed. And now we've moved into giving and we have to decide in our hearts what to give. And in that moment, it's a twofold message, brothers and sisters. It's talking literally because there was a offering being gathered for people, right? So in that chapter, there was an offering being gathered for people. And he was saying, will you partner? With the work of God, will you decide in your heart what to give? And everybody he was encouraging, give what's in your heart. That was a literal thing that took place in the Bible. But the second revelation is this. What's the eternal thing? Not just meeting the physical need, but what's the eternal question that is fueling that act to meet the need? Let me say it again. Because everything that manifests physically first starts spiritually. That's why if you are of Satan... You cuss with anger. That's why you cuss. Because there's a spiritual fueling. There's a spiritual process that's driving you to your flesh like that. Well, if you're truly giving to God, it's not you either. It's a spiritual fueling from Christ moving through you to meet the need. Amen. Amen. 
So we would say, what's the eternal peace? What's the thing that he's really asking? And in Romans chapter 12, it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Say, because all he has done for me. So you give your body first Or is it in response? Because of all he's done for me, I now give. I give my body. Why would he ask for that? Watch this. Man, Lord, I thank you for your anointing. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship the Father. Is to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You know what your money does for you? Feed your body. Feed your body. Feed your body. No. It feeds your body. It clothes your body. It cares for your body. It's why you get lashes, ladies. Oh, that's the off-limit one. It's why you get your hair cut, brothers, right? It's why you buy new clothes. It's why you go do things. You go on trips and vacations, right? Let me say it another way. It's why you let other people buy you things. It clothes you. The, the body is a physical manifestation of what's happening spiritually in your life. But the religious people will say, that's why you wear dresses and grow out your hair, and they'll make it all weird, right? This is not about earning anything. It's about doing everything that, that is truly in your heart, that is produced by God, not by the flesh, to honor the Lord. So I wrote this down. The entire old Levitical law was required in order to be in right standing with God. Do you agree? Is anybody lost at this point? Now that way of doing things is done away with. Do you agree? And we now have a a greater way of doing things. Do you agree? A way that sees the privilege in giving instead of the obligation in tithing. Do you see this? We should be so overjoyed about the gift God has given to us that we look forward to giving our lives, which includes our finances, to the work of God. It doesn't hyper-focus the finance. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're not here giving your life to Jesus, you can keep your money. I'm being honest with you. Don't give to the church. Because that money... Does it's supposed to represent your life. And if your life is not in Christ and healthy and there's no real fellowship, what are you doing here? What are you even living for God for? You're truly not drawn. So we're not a, we're not a place that's going to say, yeah, we'll take sinner's money too. It doesn't work that way. There may be times when God wants somebody to come and bless the church. I get it. It's a one-off time. Like we had a brother who was in the faith come out from, uh, I think, Santa Rosa and gave $2,000 whenever we were first remodeling the church. 
He doesn't really go here, but he gave, and it was totally out of his heart. He was he wanted to be a blessing. I have people who are not living for God that just want to feel like they want to put their money somewhere that's a good cause. Sure, okay, great. But if you're going to come be a part of the fellowship, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, if you're, you're going to do that, give your money after your heart's been given to the Lord. Otherwise, I'm enabling you to think that you're earning something. And it is not right for us to do that. It's not right to encourage you to keep coming and keep coming with no change in your life and we keep taking your money. That's wrong. The money that's in the house of the Lord should be from those that are spirit-filled, their lives have been renewed and transformed, and we're coming together and we're celebrating what God is doing with it. Because we're celebrating the greater thing, which is your life. It's the times when we come together and we pray and God moves. It's the time when we come together and we fellowship over Christ and can't leave because it's just too good. That's the stuff that we focus most on. It's not a hyper-focus on finances. And as a matter of fact, for those that have been coming to the church for a year, raise your hand. One year. Okay, keep your hand up. Out of those one year, how, is this, how many times have I truly talked about giving? Two times. Okay, how many people have been in church for five years or more? Raise your hand. Five years or more people, any, all, anybody, not this church, any church, any church. Five years or more. Now keep your hand up. How often did they talk about giving? No, no, be honest. All the time. Was it a primary focus of the teachings? You had finance classes and all kinds of other things. It saddens my heart. Because I'm going to ask another question. Out of those times, and they talked about it all the time, and they did that to keep it in front of you, right? It was a way to motivate you to continue to give. It's what they do. Out of all of those times, how many times were you really in need of somebody to come and give you the truth of Jesus Christ? And how often did that happen? The, the true, you guys all know the true answer is it never happened. when you really needed the truth, when you were sitting under teachings and you were saying, I'm not getting anything out of this. And week after week after week after week and month after month, you're going and you're giving and you're like, I'm just not growing in Christ. Like, I really want to grow in Christ, but you're still remaining faithful in your giving. How many people have experienced that? We're not going to sit and shame those people because that is not what God is asking us to do. We're not going to sit and say, they're so wrong and they wronged me. We're not having pity on ourselves. But we are saying, glory to God, we're in a place that preaches the truth of Jesus Christ even if I'm not a giver. Because here's what I know. Before we used to tithe, and it was out of obligation because we wanted to avoid the punishment of God. But now we give. And when we give, it's out of adoration. It's out of adoration in response to the gift God has given us through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. The definition of obligation is you meeting a moral requirement. That's the definition of being obligated. It's a moral requirement. I, I'm required to do this. Do you know what the definition of adoration is? Deep love 
and reverence. It's impossible to give your life to God if you don't truly come to know the life he gave for you. When you really see that, when, when you really come and encounter the Lord Jesus and you realize that hell has been pardoned, you have been saved, you are no longer obligated to do anything. He did everything. It produces adoration. Now you're walking around with a deep love for God. Now I'm going to say something very, very strong right now. One way you know people do not have a deep love for God is when they want to turn Christ off. Many of us have been there. We're like, yo, you're saying Christ way too much, bro. Are you a cult? <laughs> I guess you're calling Christ a cult because he only talked about the Father. It's impossible to receive the free gift of salvation. It's impossible to receive the free gift of salvation and not be a giver. If you're not a giver, if you're still struggling with giving in any way, I'm going to tell you why. It's because you don't know what has truly been done for you. It's the only explanation to why you wouldn't be compelled to stay in fellowship, get rid of your sins, and not go back to the bars, not go back to the club, not go back to your music, not go back to your old way. The only reason why you go back, my brother and sister, is because you have not seen the true gift. You're still blind by the reality that God loves you more than you understand, that God has truly done a work in, in, in your life. And because you're blinded by that gift, you don't give. You don't give your life. You don't give your time. You don't give your money because you're blinded to the true gift that God gave you. But those of us, whew, glory to God, those of us in this room who have truly been brought from works into grace, some of us, it's happening right now. Some of us are being freed right now. The veil is being lifted as I'm preaching right now. You are being set Free. You're like, man, where has this Jesus been? I mean, he is fresh water to your soul. But now that this Jesus is here, and for those of us that have this Jesus, that the, we used to be under the old and now we're under the new, you look for ways to give your life. And you don't worry about pleasing man. And it's not in rebellion against man, it's in obedience to God. You cannot please God and man at the same time. You cannot serve both God and money. Because money is the full representation of the world, which is man. But guess what? You are not mammon anymore. You are children of God. And I pray that as you remain in this fellowship, and as God continues to keep you around, my wife and I and the other brothers and sisters that are in this church, and you keep poking at the reality of what's here, and you keep testing what's here, and you keep asking and questioning, I mean, there's got to be a hole somewhere. There's got to be a flaw somewhere. Well, other than a booger hanging out of my nose, <laughs> you're never going to find a flaw in Christ. Amen. That's the beauty of being in true fellowship is that people are no longer looking at people.
So there's nothing to search for that's wrong because it's only the Lord. Who would come to God and say, let me find something wrong with you? Glory to God. So no, we're not taking out an offering bag. We're not passing an offering bag because we taught on money. You don't need to give. It's okay. You, got, you were given something today that's far greater than anything you could give today. You were given the truth of Jesus Christ. You were shown the truth of the gospel. You no longer have to live under this obligation of whatever that was. You are free. And because of that, God will take care of his church. Amen? He always will. So, Father, we thank you for your word. It's grace, life, and truth. I thank you, Father, that the anointing of God that's here is breaking chains. And I pray right now that when my brothers and sisters leave this place, they would leave with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn that off.